This is our fifth installment of More Than a Book, and I want to talk to you about the wilderness, and I'm excited about this message because like all of the messages, um, I think there's something in them that we can discover that maybe we've never seen before, and, and Israel uh, is, you know, if you look at New Jersey, the state of New Jersey, it's the most densely populated U.S. state compared uh, to, to about the si- it's compared to about the size of Israel and has about the same number of inhabitants. Israel is nine times smaller than Minnesota. Although Israel is a small in its size, its diversity of geography is comparable to that of the United States. It's got deserts, coastal plains, mountainous regions, rainforest-type terrains. And yet, all of those things change over a few miles as you travel through Israel. Israel was a land bridge between the, really the, the, uh, and a world empire of Egypt which was an empire for many, many years, and in the empires of Asia and Europe to the north. And if they were going to come and fight with each other, if they were going to travel through, it was going to be through what would be the land, what, what God would call his land, the land of Israel. And, and, and in the Old Testament, there's a lot of connection that Israel has with Egypt, which is a world power. I think because the Bible really focuses on Israel and the land of Israel and the people, the Hebrew people of the time, we often think that's world history. And, and the reality is that world history is happening all around Israel. Even though it's not necessarily recorded in the Bible, world history is happening all around Israel. And if you're going to understand what the Old Testament has to say. You really have to understand history. You have to understand the political climates of history, what's taking place, and to fully comprehend what's taking place even in the Old Testament. And so the, the ancient world of uh, Egypt was ruled by Pharaoh. They, they had prosperity that was often very constant. On occasion, they would have droughts, but the Nile River afforded to them great prosperity. It was, a, it was a land that many would say was a land of milk and honey. It had just a lot of different things that would collide into Egypt from Africa and would come down from the other, other areas for trade routes. It was on the Mediterranean Sea. And so there was a lot of things that would land in Egypt and would leave through Egypt. Let's turn to Exodus. And we're going to be throughout the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And we're going to talk about some of what happened as we go through the history of this. It says in chapter 1, verse 6, Now Joseph and all his brothers and all the generations had died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And um, what's interesting here is they prospered. They prospered. That, that promise God had given Abraham really was being fulfilled in the people of Israel. They're not a nation. They're a family. This is a family in Egypt that's being persecuted. It's not a nation. It's not a tribe. They're a family that has grown to a point, and they've become so prosperous that when a new king or new pharaoh comes in to whom knew nothing about Joseph, he said, look to his people. The Israelites become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built these structures uh, for Pharaoh. And then, and then, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. Isn't that interesting? 
the more they were persecuted, the more they were oppressed, the more blessed they were. That, that we think oppression and, and persecution hurts, it actually multiplies you. It actually grows. It's actually healthy. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made, and, and I kind of laugh at that because that's how people are whenever somebody's being prospered or blessed, that people tend to have an attitude, especially ungodly, because all the godly people in the room, they would never have a bad attitude about when someone's blessed. Like we rejoice with people's blessings, right? We, we love it when other people are being blessed, right? When someone gets a new car, we're like, yes, love it, right? They don't. Ungodly people, this is an attitude. When they're being blessed, they're looking, at, which is funny because this is the very same thing that Hitler does to convince the Germans they need to get rid of the Jews. They're the reason you're not blessed. Look at all the prosperity they have, but they're the reason they're doing this. He points at them to get them to despise them. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields and all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So here's Jacob and this family. They're living in the promised land. There's a drought in the land. God orchestrates a season of provision in their life. You know what I love about that? Jacob didn't orchestrate it. God orchestrated a season of provision in the land. He brings Joseph to Egypt, puts him in a place, a position where the Israelites can come get food. And Jacob, this is interesting, can be missed. Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to bring back food. But when they get there, it wasn't Jacob that wanted to leave the place where God had planted them. It was Joseph that said, bring my brother Benjamin and bring my father down here. And they come down because Joseph now has this place of position of great provision. They're going to be well cared for. And so they come down to the land of Egypt and they root themselves within this nation because one of the leaders, and some would argue the leader of Egypt, is Joseph, their brother. And they're going to have great privilege as they're down in Egypt. But at some point... You have to remember the promise giver. you got to remember the vision. The vision given to Abraham was to become a nation in the land of the Canaanites. At that time, he was an individual that had a number of slaves. He had a number of people that followed him. There was all, he, he had great prosperity in that, during that time, but it wasn't a family. The family, it was just him and Sarah and, and maybe at some point Isaac and then eventually uh, Jacob and Esau. It wasn't a nation. It was barely a family. But at this point, Jacob was a family, and the family was growing, and it was becoming a tribe. And now, because of a drought in a promised land where God called them to, they have now been drawn to Egypt. And I, want, I think we miss this somewhere, because... God calls us to something. He, he has a plan for your life. Whether you believe it or not, your company does not determine where you should be. You, you may allow them to do that, but God has a plan where you should be. Your business is a mere provision for your life wherever you're at. But you want to be at the center of where God has you. You want, you want to be where God wants you to be. And the Israelites, Jacob, 
Israel says, okay, our son is down in Egypt. They went to Egypt, and it was in Egypt where God gave them a season of provision when there was drought in the land. And I don't even think they were operating out of disobedience. I, I believe they went down there. They spent time there. But at some point... God had to have started saying, it's time to go back to Israel. It's time to go back to the place. The drought is over. There is, there, there is no need to not be in the place where I want you. But isn't it funny how when we're in a season of provision, we don't want to rock the boat? We get in that place, we're rooted in, and we start connecting to people, and God saying, hey guys, it's time to pack up and leave. And isn't it funny how we can justify, even though we know God is telling us to move to another place, or it's time to shift in what you're doing in your life, like this is where I've called you to, this is where I want. Isn't it interesting how we can justify why we can't do it? Well, you know, dad and mom, they're getting old, and it's just hard, I really need to stay right here. They really need me because I'm their provider, not God. I'm the one. And we got so much stuff now, the thought of moving, I just don't know. And, and there's this, all of this baggage in our thoughts that can keep us in a place when God wants us to be in the place where he has planted us. That was great for the time. It was great for the moment. It, it met the need, but it's, it's time to get back. And it's interesting because when we don't move, when God is asking us to move, when it's a lot easier, God will bring a disruption when we refuse, when there's that rebellion in us not to do what God's telling us to do, there will come a time of a disruption and he'd begin to change the atmosphere of what was going on in Egypt and a pharaoh comes to power that didn't know who Joseph was. And he says, you know what, if you want to stay here, then you're not going to stay here in the same condition you were because you're not supposed to be here. You're going to be slaves and still, even then, they don't leave. They stay until the slavery becomes something that is just part of what the way they think. Until the slavery of that of the slavery mindset starts to overtake them, and they begin to think and to act and to respond as slaves in a place. Notice the effects of persecution, though. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. But what was happening in their brain, even though they were multiplying and they 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 would they would they were blessed. Their minds became the mind of slaves. I, I, I think a lot of people come to Christ and they experience the incredible blessing of forgiveness of sins. Right? And, and they escape the slavery of sin, the, mind, the, the, the effects of sin, the effects of death more importantly. But when they become believers, even though they're never tied to death, they still think as people who operate under slavery. They have a slavery mentality. They have a poverty mentality. You know what's in interesting is God sends them a deliverer. They're, they're asking for a deliverer. They're asking for a deliverer. And I think when we, when we hear that, we think, well, they were crying out for a deliverer. They wanted someone who had set them from, from Egypt, free from Egypt, like to be able to go back to the promised land. Do you know what I actually think they're, they were praying for? They weren't praying to leave Egypt. They were asking God to bring a deliverer that would change Pharaoh's heart so they could stay in Egypt. A lot of times, when God has told us to leave and we don't want to leave, 
our prayer in our own will is God change the people who are making it hard to stay in a place of disobedience. Change the hearts of the people who are disrupting my life and and the way I'm acting because I don't want to be obedient to you. I just don't want to have to deal with what I'm dealing with right here. Right? Somebody in this room is saying, I I, I need to go to the bathroom (laughs) right now. The, The reality is God's plan, God answered their prayer that they were praying one way, but he answered it his way. Because God's plan was never for them to be in Egypt. It was always to be in the promised land. And when they said, send us to deliver, he sends Moses not to change the status quo of Egypt. He says, it's time to go home. It's time to rethink. It's time to change the culture in which you're living in. So, So, of course, 10 plagues happen. The last of the plagues being the one where... The firstborn son is killed, and, and in order to keep your son, your firstborn son, from being killed, you had to take the, the blood of a firstborn lamb and, and, and put the blood on the, over the top of your doorpost and on the side, and it would drip down, you know, really kind of being a symbol of what would come through the cross um, uh, many years later, and uh, it was a prophetic kind of image of what the cross would mean for us. And the reality, as a side note, I just want to say this for anyone in here who's afraid of death. You don't need to be afraid of death. Because <laughs> this, is, this is an incredible thing. When death comes to take you, it will pass over you. And then you can cross over. See, the Passover had to happen before the crossover. The Israelites had to have the Passover before they crossed over into promise. And at death is a, the, the, wilder, or the, the Egyptian experience, why this is such an incredible story. You know, how many saw the Ten Commandments? My mother-in-law got saved with the, uh, Charleston Heston and the Ten Commandments and, <laughs> and all of that. And so we'll watch it. And, and there may even be a video up here of, of Charleston Heston doing that. But the, the, that is a prophetic image of what would happen with Christ, but it's, it's also further down the road what happens with us. That when you come up against the impossible obstacle of death and the enemy of death is coming at, God says, no, it will pass over you and then you'll be able to cross over into eternity. There's no fear in it. The only people who suffer are the people who say goodbye to you when you leave. The Israelites are standing at the Red Sea, an impossible obstacle. Some say a million, some say three million, and then there's all these arguments in between. Who knows how many people? And, 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 and one of the greatest, I mean, this is one of the greatest miracles that ever take place. In fact, that a scientist just discovered the footprints and tire marks of all of the people. They know where they crossed. They were able to find all their footprints and tire marks at the bottom of the Red Sea. I can't even get through it. Don't be that gullible. They didn't know. <laughs> it's a joke. They didn't. Some of you are like, really? Are we going to do a tour to that place? Maybe go scuba diving and I can touch the feet of the Israelites? No, it's not there. They have no idea. <laughs> Some of you are like, that's just rude. Now I don't know if I can believe anything you say. Here they are. They're up against the Red Sea. 
They got the Egyptian army coming in on them. You know in their mind they're thinking, oh, great. You know, we should have just stayed in Egypt because that's what they're saying. Most of the, their slaved, slavery mentality, most of the Israelites are generations beyond any connection with Joseph and their forefathers. In fact, they were in Egypt 430, 430 years. That's more than the U.S. has been a nation. Do you have any connection to George Washington or the way he thought or any of our founding fathers? I mean, and, and Joseph was someone from way before that, far before that. So they had no connection to the, to the privilege and the prosperity of Joseph. They were slaves. They were raised as slaves. They were treated as slaves. And now as slaves, even though they've left the place, the address of slavery, they still thought like slaves. And now they're at a place where there's, there's this huge obstacle behind them, which is an impossibility. There's nothing you can do about that. And an Egyptian army coming down to hunt them down. And what does slavery mentality do? It fears the worst. You say, well, how do I know if I got slavery mentality? How, first of all, how many have said, okay, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. I've given you my life, and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, right? If you've done that, then you have left the place of slavery. You have left, in a sense, the Egypt. You've been delivered out of that place. But just because you've invited Christ in your life doesn't mean your mind has left the slavery mentality. You want to know how? You still may struggle with it. Here's, here's how you can know. You fear the worst in every report. Oh, I just heard our company's laying off people. I'll probably lose my job. Yeah, I just, I, I'm sick and there's this thing in my body. I don't know what it is. They don't want it. This is probably cancer. Uh, you, know, you know, my wife and I had a fight. We'll probably get a divorce. My kids will probably, like literally we go to the worst possible scenario because it's slavery mentality. It's this mentality that, that somehow nothing good happens to me. I'm just a slave. That's the way slave. And look at what the Israelites did in Exodus. It says Pharaoh approached the Israelites. They looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after him. And what did they do? They were what? Terrified. They cried out to the Lord and said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Remember when I said when they were praying for a deliverer, it wasn't because they wanted to leave Egypt? There's a lot of people who are not serving Christ, but they want all the blessings of being in Christ. They want God to deliver them from all of the effects of their bad decisions, but they don't actually want to leave the place where they're at. And even though they had left Egypt in their mind, they were still in Egypt. They were still tied by the slave, uh, the sl slave lords that were there kind of controlling them. Their provider was their slave driver. They looked at Egypt as the one that, that was taking care of them and not God. And, and he, he, what God is saying to them, it's time to start thinking differently. God doesn't care that you're sorry. When you do something that you know is just destructive and it's not good and you know and there's guilt is plaguing your conscience, God doesn't care that you're sorry. I'm so sorry, God, I'll never do it again. Because God knows if you're only sorry, you're going to do it again. 
Because it isn't until you change the way you think, you'll never be set free. It isn't until you leave slavery behind that you won't be set free. Because here's something I've learned. You always do what you want to do. You always do what you want to do. The greatest miracle that I believe probably has ever taken place and I think is amazing and there's a, there's a truth in here I want you to get. The greatest miracle that ever took place was millions of people walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. God fought for them and they go through. I mean, I mean, can you imagine the water goes up, you're walking around. I mean, if you're going fishing, you're just kind of reaching in and grabbing something out. I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty extraordinary what that had to have been like. And they go through the, the, the Red Sea on dry ground. And then the Egyptian army comes in after them to chase them down. And the water collapses over them, killing the entire Egyptian army. And the Israelites are on the other side, and they're rejoicing, they're dancing, they're celebrating, they're happy. Later, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night would lead them. I mean, it is, it's a reality. But I want to give you a truth, and this is a truth. Because many Christians make statements that don't often are not true. Here, here, here it is. Revelation, not events, are required to change our thinking. Revelation, not events, are required to change our, our thinking. We often say, God, if you do this event, then people's lives will be changed. People's lives are not changed by events. People's lives are changed when they get a revelation of who God is. When they see him for who he is, because the Israelites walked through, the, they saw some of the most, they just saw 10 plagues. They just walked through water. But the events did not change them. It didn't set them free from a slavery mentality. In some cases, some would argue it even made it worse because they would end up using their complaining as a tool to try to manipulate God to be what he already is, a good God. And this first stint of the Israelites in the wilderness, God's plan for Israel to spend in the wilderness was supposed to be a short time. Right after the, the Red Sea experience, he, want, he intended that these people would then move from the gods of Egypt that they had let infiltrate into their thinking and the culture of Egypt that had infiltrated into their thinking. Because if, if you know, when I was doing my master's degree um, in, in this global studies thing, there's a guy named Hofstede, and it's five dimensions of culture. And he talks about how culture, the culture that you believe your faith. So Christianity looks different in every culture. And isn't there only one truth for Christianity? Of course. But your cultural setting impacts how you view the scriptures and the way you see truth. So whether you like it or not, there are things you believe about the Bible and truth in the Bible that has been influenced by culture and not the Holy Spirit. Therefore, there are things you say, I'm just telling you the truth, and you're actually telling them lies. 
because culture has shaped it. And if we're going to understand the word, we have to go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, help me to see beyond culture. Help me to see your truth beyond this. And the, the Israelites, that this tribe of people, this family and tribe of people in, in Egypt had become part of the Egyptian culture and their thinking was influenced by the culture, very much how our American culture has influenced the way we think. And they tend to believe that God is what God is with them, but they refuse to see God as their God. They don't believe God will provide for them. They say, yeah, we, we think God is with us and that's great, but we don't believe that God's going to provide for us the way that the Egyptians provided, the way our slave drivers provided for us. And again and again in scriptures, you see them say, if we only had been back in Egypt, isn't it funny how the enemy can get us to reminisce our past of slavery? How we can embrace the very thing that was destructive in our life. It's in Numbers 13, 14. It says, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. These are the 12 spies because the Israelites had come to the Jordan River. They're like, we, we need to go over into the land. We need to spy it out. They hadn't been to this area of Canaan. They hadn't been in this whole area. It's 430 years since they left there. So nobody had been to this place. And it's understandable that if you're going in, you need to know where you're going and all of those things. But, but, and, and, and that's understandable because they really didn't trust God anyway to lead them through it. So they wanted to go do it. And what it did was open the door for them to see what God was giving them. And sometimes when we get a sight of the bigness, the enormity of what God's doing, it intimidates us. Do you know, I wish God just show me what, what he wants to do in my life. That would be horrible for you. Because if you saw what God intended to do in your life, you'd start thinking you have to work it out. There are some things you just don't need to see. Some things you don't need to spy out ahead of time. Some things you just need to go and experience God's provision in the moment. So it keeps you out of it. But they go up there and it says, but the men who had gone up with them says, we can't attack those, attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Slavery mentality. They're more charismatic than I am. They're smarter than I am. They have more connections than I have. I can't do that. There's no way I can tell people about Jesus. They don't want to hear what I have to say. You know, they, they didn't even try. Like, their, their worst enemy, the Israelites' worst enemy in that moment that was preventing them from being promoted wasn't the people living in the land it was their own mentality. And are you all listening? Because if there's anything I want you to remember, we love to blame everyone else for why we don't get promoted. We love to blame everybody. But deep down inside, in those moments when you're by yourself, you know it's not other people preventing you from getting to that place. It's your thinking. It's limited. It's controlled. It's dictated to by the voices of the enemy that speak a whole lot louder than what it takes to stop and be still and hear the voice of God. Because what God, God orders, he pays for. But they didn't know that. And why? Because they were Egyptians. They were living in Egypt, thinking like Egyptians, thinking like slavery, slaves in a land where they were slaves. 
See, you can be saved from the slavery of sin, but you got to get set free from the bondage on your thoughts, from that poverty mentality that controls and puts limits in. And he says, they said, they're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. We can't do it. Hey, guys, we can't do it. There's no way. Don't get your hopes up. You know what will happen. Did you just not stop? Like, like, Part of me, you know, part of me that wants to be careful is because I might have been one of those people, <laughs> right? I might have been. When I walked through the wilderness, I told the guys that we were there, we were walking through it. I said, I'm, I, whew, thank God I wasn't in that tribe. I might have been one of the chief complainers if this is where we were going to live, right? So I got to be careful in how I talk about the people who are in this place but it's amazing how when we have a slavery mentality, we want everyone else to have it too. And whenever we see them moving on something, we try to pull them down. It's like, and, and this isn't even in my notes, but there's, they did this study with mice. And, and, I'm, and, <laughs> and in the end, we're all, we have similarities to mice. We're not animals, but we, we have some instincts like that. They, they go to eat something. Whenever they go to eat, if you climb up this thing, there's food up at the thing. Well, they put mice in it, and they would climb up the thing to get food, but they'd have electrical charge, which would shock it and would fall off. And they tried this for a couple of times until uh, they, they, the mice didn't even try to climb it anymore, right, even though it was there. And they would turn off the electrical, sh but it mouse wouldn't even go up there. Well, then... They took out a couple of the mice, left a couple in that had been in the experience. They put two mice in that had never experienced it. And when the mice would go to climb up the thing to get the food, the other two mice would pull the one down and keep them from going up to get the food, even though there was no electrical charge. That's exactly what these spies were doing. We saw it. There's no way. It's the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants in Anuk uh, come from the Nephilim. We seem like grass... They never said... I mean, and they said, we seem like grasshoppers in our eyes, and we look the same to them. How do you know you look the same to them? You're not them. But that's what happens in a slavery mentality. We assume things. That's why, like, we don't talk to our friends or people we work with about the gospel because we've already made the assumption they don't want to hear it you don't they don't want to hear it like I'm not going to share my testimony or story where God's it because they don't want to do it they don't care Satan has been so skilled at getting us because the only way the only way Satan's voice works in our life is when we're operating in a slavery mentality because it's because it's congruent it's compatible. A slavery mentality is compatible with the words of Satan. When you have the mind of Christ, <laughs> Satan's voice just, you don't even know it's there because it doesn't fit. It's that you don't even, it's not that you even recognize it as a lie. It just does not compute. So they sat there and said, we're too, we're too small. We're not big enough, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. And they disagree, and they said, forget the Egyptians. We can take this land. Because in a believer's life, remember what I said in the Valley of Elah, to a believer, there's no such thing as giants. To the slavery mentality, they're giants all over. But to a believer, 
If God is for me, who can be against me? So Goliath was never an issue. This wasn't, it wasn't about Goliath. It was about Saul. So when God asks you, this is real. When God asks you to do something, he's taking into consideration what he intends to do. When you think about, when you hear what he's telling you to do, you need to then get excited if it's beyond anything you can do. Why? Because God has a plan to do something that's way beyond what you can do. That's what, and that's what a, a prosperity mindset says. And, and this idea, well, I don't believe in prosperity. It's because your definition of it is so messed up. When God is with you, you're going to prosper. Period. In every part of your life, because God is, does that mean you won't be persecuted? No. You can prosper through persecution. They did. Even when they were being persecuted more and oppressed more, they prospered through it. Because God is with me. Because God will walk you through it. Deuteronomy says, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said the Lord hates us. Where does that come from? A slavery mentality. They weren't free from their savory mentality. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. And so these spies just spoke into their heart. They were already thinking that and they were at that place. The question you have to ask yourself today, maybe you're in a wilderness because God's wanting to deal with your slavery mentality. And you will never walk into the promised land until you deal with that mentality. That start, because you started back here in Egypt, when you didn't want to leave, you wanted to stay right here because you were slavery to the prosperity of the pharaohs. And the world was your provider. Egypt is my provider. And God, I need you to work out some things so that Egypt can continue to be my provider. And I want God, I want you to work things out in the United States so that the U.S. can continue to be my provider. And every time I get a news report of something, I get crazy and nutso, and I start ripping up people left and right, and I start attacking everyone because it's my provider. Rather than to be at peace because God's my provider no matter what happens in this country. And in it, I have to ask myself, God, are you moving me somewhere? Are you taking me somewhere? Is there something you want me to do? Because I want to be obedient. I don't want to, I don't want to have to walk through a Red Sea to get it. But if I have slavery mentality and I'm dependent on this world, I'm going to have a hard time comprehending God's word through the lens of truth. Because, because I want it to say what I want it to say. So Israel, this is amazing to me. <laughs> The spies that come out end up dying because of a plague. And the people are like, oh, man, we messed up. Oh, man, did we mess up. We want to go up. Moses, we want to go up. We want to take the land. We believe now. I'm a believer. Like, I want to believe now, Moses. He says, no, no. You guys, for every day the spies spent searching the land, 40 days, you're going to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Which is interesting because Jesus spent 40 days because he walked through his wilderness and showed you how to walk through it. And he only spent 40 days. Moses spent 40 years walking through the wilderness and then had to walk through another one for 40 years. Crazy. 
Anyway, they go, we're going to go up anyway because slavery mentality says, I have knowledge now. God wants us in the promised land. So, so I'm going to go up and do it. And so that's what slavery, we're going to go up and do it. And yet God didn't go with them. And there, would, there was no plan, no strategy they could have ever done that was going to succeed because God wasn't with them. I think sometimes we think, if I just know how to do it, just tell me how to do it, and then it'll work. It ain't gonna work, because God isn't with you. There, you can have the most idiotic strategy in the world, and it can work, if God's with it. Because the whole point is this connection, this need. A prosperous mindset is a mindset on Christ. He's my prior, he's my, he's my source. So here's the formula of promotion. First, you have to know what your promise is. It'll make wandering in the wilderness a lot better if you have a purpose. Life is so boring if you have no eternal purpose. But if you're gonna get to the promise, everyone's gonna have to walk through the wilderness. There, you have to take a trip through the process. So there's going to be a promise, and you're going to see it, and you're going to go, yes, I want that promise. I want to go to that place. But if you're going to get to that place, you've got to walk through the wilderness. And if you think you're better than Jesus, friend, you should jump out of Egypt first. Because even Jesus walked through a wilderness, and he showed us how to do it so that, that the next step of promotion can take place. You know, a common mistake for many people is to believe that there are, they are ready for promotion before they're ready for promotion. Like, if, if you're not promoted, you shouldn't be. No! No, 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 pastor. I, I'm not promoted because of all the people that are keeping me from that place. I'm not promoted because man controls my promotion and there are men working against me, friend. That's the lie you believe because you want to justify why you're not working on your character to prepare yourself for promotion. God promotes. I often say this, that which God promotes, no man can touch. If man is lifting you up and promoting you, you won't stay there long because it'll be man who will pull you down. You won't be out of the reach of man. Wilderness is different than a storm. The storm will reveal God's faithfulness for us, but the wilderness will reveal God's character in us. Third, you get promoted, and he opens up the door, and you'll begin to see God's plan in your life. Never forget that the wilderness is a blessing, not punishment. If you're wandering in a wilderness right now and you just don't understand why, you, you, you can't change the fact you're going through a wilderness, but you certainly can prolong it. Your attitude will determine your altitude. The, the Israelites again and again proved why they needed to be in the Israelites when they cut, because this is what they did. They kept saying, they kept trying to manipulate God to do good things because they didn't understand God is good. God is not moved by your manipulation. It's, it's not like, guys, when your wife says to you, I don't think you can lift that anymore. And then after your hernia surgery, you're like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I'll show you. 
that's not how God works. I don't think you can do that, God. That's not how God works. God isn't moved by your manipulation because God is good. God is moved by your faith. God, this is little. You could do so much more. But would you stoop to the level just to lift this little thing? Would you move this mountain in this place? The wilderness was not God's disapproval, God's abandonment, or God putting you on the shelf. It was actually a time to speak. You know, wilderness, in the Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word. It means ba-mid-bar, ba-mid-bar. The root word means to speak. It means to speak. See, it's in the wilderness when you're not running all over the place doing all of these things that you take time and you just stop and you let him speak, whether in his presence or in his word. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, grace is sufficient for me. Will you say that? God, say it with me. God, your grace is enough. It's enough. It's enough. Maybe you're wandering in the wilderness. I want you to know it has an end date. There is a day where it comes to an end. There's a day where you get promoted. There's a day where you go. But you can shorten it, but you will prolong it if your attitude isn't right. You know, in Deuteronomy 8, it says, Remember how the Lord your God loved you all the way through the wilderness these, these 40 years to humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. The wilderness is this place where he's just testing your heart. We will never outlive our usefulness for the Lord, ever. I, I want you to stand, would you? Here's Deuteronomy 1, 34 to 38 is the verse where it says Moses, God tells Moses, Moses, you've led the people, but you're not going into, you're not going into the promised land. You're going you're gonna to lead them to the place, and then Joshua's going to take them in. The question and, and the le every message in this series, I've left you with a question that I'm not going to answer for you. I'm not going to come back after the series is done, give you all the answers. This is something for you to wrestle with. So pull your phones out, take a picture of the question. Many of you are. Here's the question. And you'll think you'll know the answer because you've heard a sermon or two on this. But I would encourage you to not settle for that. It says, why was Moses not allowed to lead the people in the promised land? He dealt with all of their complaining. He dealt with everything. He, he went to Pharaoh. He was persecuted. He spent, I mean, why couldn't he go into the promised land? It's an incredible question you need to pursue. And I want you to look at it. You're going to have to search scriptures and don't settle for the easy answer. Now you're standing here and I'm going to ask for you to do something because maybe there's some in this room you're going through the wilderness experience. But I'm going to ask you to do something. Close your eyes and just bow your head. And there's nothing spiritual about that. Nothing at all. But I, I, want, I want you to do that because I want you to kind of see this wilderness. I, you've seen the pictures. I want, I want you to kind of envision you're in this wilderness and there's nothing there. In your life right now, do you see things other than God that is your provider? And God's going to put things in that wilderness that you're in right now. You're going to start to see pictures of things pop up in that vision you're having in your mind where the Lord and Holy Spirit right now is going to say, this has been taken my place. You've put this ahead of me. Holy Spirit, right now I pray by the, the, the ability you have to do that, that you would reveal right now anything that has taken a place to bring them into slavery mentality. Right now, I pray that you would reveal to them what it is that's robbing you of their heart right now. In Jesus' name. And while you're standing there, 
this is what I want, to, want you to do. If you're saying, well, how do I pray? How do I deal with this? This is what you do. You say, Lord, will you judge my thoughts and will you judge my heart?